0: If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information.
1: You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash themurderinmyfamily. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. Please allow me a moment to share some important information before we get started. If you find that you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts so that the show can continue to grow and reach new listeners. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurdermyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at murdermyfam or by searching for the Murder in My Family podcast on Facebook. If you haven't already done so, I hope you'll complete a survey that takes about 30 seconds. You'll really be helping the show out. You can fill out the survey today by visiting surveylibsyncom slash the murder in my family. That's surveylibsyncom forward slash the Murder in My Family. I really appreciate and thank you for your support in completing the survey. If you'd like to support the show with a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Murder My Family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include such things as early, commercial-free access to new episodes of the show, plus bonus material not heard in regular episodes. It may include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash family. In each episode, I give shout-outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank Starla Sims and Lisa Macron-Collis, and thank you to all the supporters that generously donate and keep the podcast going and improving. Thank you, and now on with the show. On Saturday, August 17, 1996, in Columbia, South Carolina, 65-year-old Jack L. Robinson found himself along the Congaree River at the Rosewood Boat Ramp, an odd place to be since he didn't own a boat or take part in boating activities. The mystery of why he wound up at that boat ramp that day would only deepen after he was savagely attacked there by a mysterious man with a knife. Jack Robinson would later die from his wounds and to this day his killer remains free. That summer, Jack, a Vietnam veteran, was enjoying the freedom of retirement after serving his country proudly for over two decades in the Air Force. Although serving in the military might have meant that he could wind up any place. After retiring from the Air Force, Jack settled in Columbia, where he was born and raised. Jack had been divorced for years, and he had one daughter, Tammy from his marriage. After his military retirement, Jack started another career as a civilian employee at a hospital on the Fort Jackson military base in Columbia. After 40 years of working hard, Jack had earned his downtime. Never a man to just sit around, Jack spent much of his time trying to be active. He attended church and would volunteer at local soup kitchens and take part in activities that helped out veterans and the homeless and he was also looking forward to spending more time with his grandkids. Jack Robinson had never been in trouble with the law, and by all accounts, was a decent and honorable man. But he also had a private side. That private side may or may not have played a role in his murder. Earlier in the day of that hot and fateful Saturday, Jack spoke with his brother by phone, and they made arrangements to meet for lunch the next day. Later, at around 6 p.m., Jack, for unknown reasons, drove to the Rosewood boat ramp, either alone or possibly with his killer in the car. Three other people had parked near the same boat ramp and were waiting for a nearby concert to begin. A slight hill separated them from Jack and a second unknown man that Jack was talking to. But from their position, they were able to see Jack talking to this other man. And although they weren't eavesdropping, They could hear bits and pieces of the conversation between Jack and the mystery man. It sounded to the witnesses as if Jack and the man knew each other. Gradually, their conversation grew heated, and Jack, upset and raising his voice, asked something along the lines of, What do you want? Money? Then there was a moment of silence. The two men stopped talking. A moment later, Jack stumbled into the witnesses' view. He had taken off his shirt and was wearing a t-shirt that was covered in blood. Jack made his way towards the people, clutching his stomach and asking for help. He yelled out that he had been stabbed. From their vantage point, the three witnesses saw the man that had been talking to Jack run off along the riverbank. As Jack reached the horrified trio, he collapsed at their feet. One of them called 911, while the others tried to help the badly wounded man. Police and an ambulance were dispatched to the scene and arrived there in a matter of minutes. EMTs worked feverishly on Jack, who had suffered multiple knife wounds, and he was loaded into the ambulance and rushed to Palmetto Health Richmond Hospital. Back at the scene of the attack, police took descriptions of the suspect from witnesses. They described the assailant as being Hispanic, 25 to 35 years old, and with an olive complexion. He was about five 5'5", And between 150 and 180 pounds. The man had a mustache and was wearing dark sunglasses. Police attempted to track the man using bloodhounds and those bloodhounds led police to a local business. But after investigating the business and the people there, there was nothing of value learned by the police. The knife used to stab jack was never found and there were no obvious signs of a robbery. Jack had suffered severe damage to his internal organs and had lost much of his blood, and unfortunately, he couldn't be saved. He passed away soon after arriving at the hospital. As part of their investigation, police talked to people that knew Jack, trying to identify anyone that might want to harm him. Nothing in his background or his life seemed to put him at risk. Everyone that knew Jack only had good things to say about him. Police searched his phone records looking for clues, anything that might provide a direction for them to go in, but for the most part, they came up empty-handed. At some point in the investigation, police began to dig into the possibility that Jack may have been living as a closeted gay man, and that he may have met his killer through that part of his life. Perhaps the man that killed Jack was trying to blackmail him, and Jack resisted, which is why he was killed. The news that police were investigating Jack's murder along these lines was a shock for his daughter, Tammy. She had never known her father to be gay, and if he was, he hid it well from her. However, this investigative approach didn't seem to lead anywhere for police, and soon, Jack Robinson's case went cold. Then, out of the blue, a little over a year after Jack's murder, police felt that they had a major break in their case. In November 1997, police arrested a man named Max Naughton for the murders of a 30-year-old woman named Kimberly Brown and her three-year-old niece, Lila. Police felt that these two murders might be connected to Jack Robinson's. Naughton had dumped Kimberly's and Lila's bodies in the water at the same boat ramp where Jack was killed. After further digging, police realized that Kimberly had worked for Jack at one point. Perhaps most interestingly of all, was that Max Naughton had worked at the same business that the bloodhounds had tracked Jack's killer sent to following his murder. Armed with the strong but circumstantial evidence, police arrested Max Naughton for Jack's murder. The problem for police was that much about Max Naughton didn't line up with Jack's killer. Max Naughton is not Hispanic with all of his skin, as witnesses describe Jack's killer. He's instead a light-skinned African-American. The witnesses in Jack's case describe Jack's killer as being between 25 and 30 years old. At the time of Jack's death, Max Naughton was only 19. Witnesses have also claimed that Naughton didn't have a mustache at the time of Jack's death, but Jack's murderer did. Finally, Max Naughton is 6'1 and has a large build. Jack's killer was described as being several inches shorter with a light build. Despite some of this information not matching up, Police ran with Max Naughton as the prime suspect in Jack's case, and they told Jack's daughter Tammy that they had caught her dad's killer. Max Naughton was convicted for the murders of Kimberly Brown and her niece Lila. Police told Tammy that if Naughton ever got out of prison, they would make sure that Naughton was tried for her dad's murder. After that, Tammy stepped back from the stress and pain of her dad's murder and took time to grieve and heal. It wasn't until years later that Tammy found out that the police had dropped the charges against Naughton for the murder of her father. She was shocked and outraged and reached out to police. They then told her that they had reversed their thinking, that Naughton hadn't killed her father, and their thinking was that the killer was likely an illegal alien who may have left the country. 22 years of ups and downs, of false hope, and searching for answers has taken its toll on Jack Robinson's daughter Tammy. But she has not given up on trying to find her father's killer. She's heavily involved in online groups and Facebook, where she talks to anyone that will listen. All in an effort to somehow generate some kind of leads in her father's case. And now she talks with us. That conversation is next. Hi, Tammy, and thanks for joining me to discuss your father's case with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I know that you were interviewed by at least one other podcast about your dad's case, the Unresolved Podcast, which is a great podcast, by the way. Your dad's case is one that's it's very mysterious, and I'm surprised that more people haven't heard of it, but it's still unsolved, so I hope that we can get more people familiar with it especially down in the South Carolina area, maybe someone will come forward with information.
1: Well, that would be nice. It is a mysterious case, that is for sure. Um, being that it's 22 years now, uh, I have tried to... Um, it's just been within the last couple of years that I've really been uh, having people come to me that does the podcast, the radios, uh that sort of thing. And, um, I have done a few and hoping that, as they say, just one person would, you know, come across, but we've had nothing. uh, We have not, we've had no calls and I've been trying to get it out. Um, you know, get his story out there, um, through Facebook and Twitter, along with others helping and, um, but, nothing no no feedback <laughs> at all so i don't understand what's going on
0: with it well hopefully at some point somebody has information they they'll come forward with and it breaks the case open for you uh, but I, I wanted to start off by mentioning that your father by all accounts seemed like a very upstanding man uh, a very unlikely type of victim to die the way he did he was an air force veteran he had a career after the military He was retired. He was a grandfather. So he had a lot going on for himself, and it just didn't seem like he was any kind of uh, person that would be involved in any kind of foul play or anything. Um, What's your take on that? Did did he, you know, what he seems like, is that how he was? You know, he looks like a a really good citizen and somebody that was upstanding. Um, Would you agree with that?
1: I, I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, my father was, he dedicated his life to the military. Um, besides being in the air force, he was also civil service, civil service employee at Moncroft, uh, hospital in, uh, Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina, where he was born and raised. And he, um, Besides going to church, he also helped out at the soup kitchens. He was always out helping as much as he could to the homeless, to the vets, to um, people, you know, that needed help. And he was a good man. Um, I I mean, he was my dad, and and I felt that he was a good man. I know that a lot of people looked up to him and uh, felt the same way and for something like this to happen it did really take um uh it, it, it took us all back when i got the phone call when we when my family got the phone call that um that this happened and where it happened at it was not some pla- it would not be some place that i would ever expect my father to have gone and uh to this day, I have no clue to why he would have been at the Rosewood Boat Landing, why he would, who this person was, did he know this person? Um, yes, he was a very upstanding citizen. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't do drugs. He um, He was always that way.
0: So as far as you know, and and from what you've been able to learn from police, he didn't have any enemies, didn't have any run-ins with anybody, not like he was worried about somebody coming after him or anything like that? Nothing, nothing.
1: They, um, they, they did background, you know, they did checks on his phone they did. Um, of course, we had, you know, we had to remember this was back 1996, so we didn't have cell phones or anything. We had the house phones. So they were able to pull, you know, Southern Bell's phone records. They were able to see the calls in which he had made. Um, he had called and spoke with his brother, making um, uh, uh, lunch uh, plans uh for after church on sunday um he was he had, was helping a neighbor uh an older lady that he would help out on the weekends to go to the grocery store and whatever he had made plans to do that um matter of fact she was going out of town and he was going to be taking her to the post office or not the post office excuse me to the um uh, uh airport and well She never got well, she did not get there by my father.
0: I think one of the unusual things about your father's murder was the way that he was killed. I've had a lot of guests on this show that have had loved ones who were stabbed to death, but usually we're talking about female victims that are stabbed did the police say anything about the stabbing or their theories about why he was stabbed as opposed to shot or anything else? It seems like we hear a lot more about women being stabbed as opposed to men.
1: Um, they, have, uh, they have not said to me one way or the other as far as in that reference. Um, the only thing that they have told me the, uh, there were three witnesses. The witnesses stated that they heard the, they saw my father with this gentleman. Uh, they acted like as if they knew each other, but they could not tell for sure if they knew each other. Um, in At one point, they were talking. The next point, he was stabbed. The next point, They were hearing my father asking him, what do you want? What do you need? And then he was coming down this hill. What it was is it's uh, the Rosewood boat landing off of Rosewood drive in Columbia, South Carolina. And it, um, people go there, you know, to, uh, sit and see the river. They put their boats in this sort of thing. Back then they used to keep it, um, uh, uh, they would have people come in, and they would keep the grass cut and everything. Uh, now it has grown up a lot, but um, they uh, where the witnesses were, they were up uh, on the more of the parking lot side. Where with my dad, he was down, like uh, coming up from where the riverside was, and when he was coming up after they heard the commotion going on, uh, he had his top shirt off holding at him stating that he had been stabbed. And by the time that he got to the witnesses, um, at that point he fell to the ground and they called and they said that the guy went running off, uh, across the, uh, riverbank and, um, By the time the cops got there, they could not, uh, I guess they tried tracking them, but they weren't able to um, take it anywhere. And they just said that he had been stabbed. They just said that he had been stabbed, but they did not go into detail as far as versus a knife or a gun. I do know that my dad dad did, um, I guess, uh, you know, fight back to a point because he had various cuts. One, He had a, a small stabbing behind the ear. He had a cut uh, uh, by the thumb and the point finger of his hand. He had various cuts on him from where he was trying to stop um, the guy from stabbing him and got him in several places. So, um, so I do know that he did fight back, uh, from, you know, this guy, um, that's about the most that they have told me when it's come to that, you know, versus answering your question, a gun versus a knife. They think that it was a sloppy job. They don't think that this is something that, uh, this person, uh, probably ordinarily did because they said that he was
0: sort of sloppy with how he went about doing what he did. And, and this area described the boat area, the boat ramp area. It's not a place your dad would normally go to. It's not, he wasn't in a boating. He he hadn't been out there no. that you know of. Is Would no. he have been trusting enough to meet somebody out there that he wasn't comfortable with? Was he that type of person? That no, would, no. So no. You, you feel that he may have known that person enough to go out there and trust him to, to be in that location?
1: I, I feel that if... Somebody had contacted him to meet him somewhere. It would be because he had he would have known him. Now, unless it was somebody that he had known, and instead somebody showed up, you know, versus the person that he was expecting, that might have been a different story. But uh, I, to be honest with you, I mean, my dad was born and raised here, and I. Was raised and born. I was born and raised there uh, until I was like 16, 17 years old. I never knew that the place even existed. There is now a um, rock quarry that sits in. When you're coming down Rosewood Drive, you dead end at the uh, rock quarry. Down, behind, down below the rock quarry is this boat landing. And, um, like I said, there's a few picnic tables and pretty much people, I guess it's pretty busy on the weekends or from what I've understood through, uh, people through Olympia and family that I know where, you know, if you have a boat, you go and, um, but, uh, To why he would be down there, I don't know. Yes, he used to do fishing when he would come visit us. He would go fishing. We had family up at Lake Murray. We would go fishing and, and, you know, do. We would go out on boats, but he did not own a boat. Um, And I cannot imagine to what he would be there for or to what he would have been meeting somebody there for.
0: It is just have the know. police found any evidence that he was robbed or was robbery a possible motive did they say anything about that
1: they did mention that it was a possibility um but from what the from what the witnesses stated he did uh, apparently ask the guy what do you want i can give you money what do you want and but as far as seeing any type of, you know, anything going hand in hand, my dad giving him anything, that was not taken, that did not take place. Uh, he was stabbed before anything was taking place. So to whatever this person was wanting or was after or whatever, he did not get it. He was, my, he stabbed him before Whatever he was wanting is the way
0: I see it. One of the theories that seems to have been thrown out there along the way, and it may have even been the police that mentioned this, that perhaps your father had a relationship he had hidden with, with that person that killed him, perhaps a, a homosexual relationship. Is, is that something that you dismiss? Do you think that's there's any kind of possibility that that could be true? And how closely did police look at that angle?
1: Well, apparently they've looked at that angle quite a bit. Um, Do I believe it? No. Is it hard for me to believe? Yes. Could it possibly be that that my father could have been gay? Um, I guess that possibility is there. Um, You know... Uh, The way I've always seen him, I did not see that in him. According to, I mean, I have questioned my aunts and uncles up until they passed after my dad, and they have all said to me, Your dad, you know, we do not know uh, of this being a part of your father. Um, For whatever reason, uh, to whatever tips, to whatever has been given to the police, that at that time, that is what they went with um i know that today uh the cop uh my the detective still says that you know he cannot for sure say yes or no if he was or if he wasn't or if this person was or was not uh his quote gay lover um, and he cannot verify for sure if my father was gay or was not gay. Um, they have been to various various places where they claim where people has claimed that he had visited or went to. Uh, but every time they've gone there, my dad has been there by himself, if he was there with anybody. It would be a matter of sitting there with a glass of water or a Sprite, just sitting and talking. He never left with anybody. Um, I've, had, I've got a cousin that uh, he, the two of them would get together, and they would go uptown and go places. And um, he's even made comments that this was not true. Um, so I don't know what to think of this. Um, it is, uh, it, it, that is one thing that has, uh, very much affected our family. Um, I'm not saying that I'm against somebody gay. I'm just saying that when it comes to my dad, it was not something that, uh, I noticed, expected, did not give it a thought about and not until he was murdered and it still, at times, sort of hard to um, accept or uh, to um, acknowledge the fact that it could be. Um, But I do have to, at the same time, I have to, you know, keep an open mind for the fact that um, I guess there is that possibility that maybe it could have been, and it was something that he finally came to terms with as he got older. And just had a very, had you know, was able to keep it secret. Um, when he was in the Air Force, he was very secretive to begin with. When he was in the Army and the jobs that he did, uh, you know, mainly the Air Force, the work that he did. You know, so I guess it's possible that that could have been the same
0: for his life. And even if he was gay, I mean, there was no reason he should have been murdered over it. But it opens up the possibility that perhaps the person was blackmailing him, I'm going to tell your family, I'm going to tell your friends, something along those lines. Um, Exactly. And that's frustrating because now police, they don't know whether it's true or not, but they have to look at that possibility but it, exactly it, it makes the case that much harder to solve because there's so many more possibilities. Now, if that is the case and you've got more suspects to consider uh, and that's one of the frustrating things as I was reading through her, I'd see that pop up and you know, your dad came from a time when a lot of stuff like that you kept to yourself and exactly, it wasn't as accepting a, a time as, as it is today, but and whether or not he was it, it, shouldn't have affected it shouldn't have caused him to be murdered either way but for me right. researching it, it was just one of those frustrating things that it, it just adds to the possibilities and, and maybe makes it that much harder to solve right but one good thing that did come out of this entire thing if, if there's anything good to come out of it is that there were witnesses that saw them and you m- mentioned there were multiple witnesses is that correct three of them
1: Yes, there was three witnesses. It was um, it just so happened there was uh, two guys and a girl. They were in the there was a concert going on at the um, downtown at the Coliseum, and they, for whatever reason, were down there. And at then I guess in a way it was sort of good that they were there, only for the simple fact that they were there to see what took place and they were there in order to help my dad Um, even though it did not save his life but they were able to uh, get the you know get the cops there get the uh, ambulance there um, you know to be able to get him to the hospital so that part of it but as far as anything else um, they stayed there with him. They were right there with him. They tried speaking to him, talking, you know, talk to him, um, and they tried asking him questions, but he didn't really give a lot of information. He just told them that, that that his name, you know, who, is, who he was, and that was about it. By that time, I guess, the ambulance was there, and they took him to the hospital. They tried reviving him and and saving his
0: life, but he had lost too much blood uh, from the stabbings. The people that were there that were with him at the time, the witnesses, they did help to create a sketch of the man that killed your father, and that's hopefully one thing that is a a good lead, that maybe one day he can be identified that way if if those witnesses get to see that photo and, and maybe pick him out.
1: Yes. Yeah. The suspect was described as a Hispanic male of all complexion, and he was between 25 35 years old. Today, he would probably be about 50, 55, somewhere in that general area of age. He was around 5'5", 150 to 180 pounds. He had uh, black hair, and he had a small mustache is the way they t- described him. He ha- was wearing a pair of uh, sunglasses. He was in um, shorts and a top, well, I say top, uh, shirt, like with uh, buttons, you know, small amount of buttons down the front. And, uh, but they took him to the Palmetto Health Richland Hospital, and that is where he was pronounced dead. They have also told me that they believe of him being Hispanic. And they've also made the comment to me several times. Um, we had farmers markets. Uh, there's a lot of farmers markets there in Colombia and uh, around the area where the farmers market is, by the, by the fairgrounds. They had a housing for Hispanic people, illegal people, that worked the farmers markets. And um, they have various ones around in Colombia. And uh, Chief Smith has made comments to me in regards to he feels that it's very possible that this guy could have been an, an illegal Hispanic um, that killed my dad. And he said he has told me several times that he's either he's either still in the area. Or he could be in prison or he could have fled the area and he could be, you know, out of, you know, in Mexico or someplace like that. So I don't know. So I just keep hoping that. Somebody might recognize him and could put a name to him, could put, a, you know, a place to where he might be, whether if he is still in South Carolina or whether if something has happened and he could be in prison. Um, I still hope for the day that they can come out with the playing cards Um because he is Chief Smith has told me that he intends on putting my dad and the photo uh, of the sketch on the playing cards uh, to get out there um, and put my dad's story on there.
0: A really good idea to help spread that word, you know, even in the prisons where some people might know something or hear something.
1: Yes, yes, and I wish there was something that I knew to do to where I could do that, whether if it was a flyer or something like that, but I have not been able to find out as far as, you know, what you're allowed to do in that circumstance, um, or if it's something that the sheriff's office has to do, which, you know, they're so busy that, um, it's, it, it takes a lot for me to be able to get time with them. So a lot of it I have to do on my own, which I keep them in contact and I keep them posted on everything that I do. And a lot of the stuff that I do post and I put out there, the majority of it is with Chief Smith or, you know, them uh, a part of it or their name is on it. Um, Everything they have approved pretty much, but they know that I am constantly out there. Um, trying to get his story out because uh, I will not give up on it.
0: And do they have, besides the eyewitness descriptions in the sketch, is there any kind of DNA or evidence like that that you know of in the case?
1: No, there is not. Um, they just recently um, did. They had. Um, they. Uh, I'm going to go back like a little bit uh, when he had was first murdered. Um about a year after he was murdered, there was a gentleman that murdered a family friend and the, and her niece and she, He eventually got life in prison prior to him going to prison, they thought that he was possible the suspect and after he had gone to prison, they had um charged him along with the woman and child. After he was in, they found out and discovered that he was not the person, so they dropped all the charges. I was never notified of that. And so there was about 12, 14 years there where I always thought that this this person was his killer. And I had to wait until he broke out of prison or something happened for him to come out for them to then re- recharge or do whatever they had to do to, um, you know, convict him of also my father. The only thing was is there was still no DNA. There was still no knife. Um So, I was still sort of uh, of he- of hesitance on how were they going to be able to do this when they did not have, you know, the knife or DNA. Well, it turned out, as I said, they dropped the charges. Um, so whenever I discovered and come across about six years ago now that he was not ch- he was, the char- charges were dropped and the case was, Somewhat open, it was just sitting there, and when I got it reopened, and Chief Smith and the Cold Case Department at Richland County Sheriff's Office started reopening it, um, that's when everything pretty much started over, and they um, the they started running his DNA back through. There's they still weren't able to get anything, and just recently. They spoke with me, this was back uh, in the summertime, and they talked to me about that, uh, I never say it correctly, I I want to call it DVAC, but I don't think that's the correct term, but it's that VAC where they do like a shirt or pants or whatever, and they uh, do the, They pull, pull, DNA, pull DNA from like a shirt or whatever, do um, you
0: know what I'm referring to? It's, it's the MVAC.
1: MVEC. okay yep. um they did that and but they did not do it on like his whole undershirt or his whole top shirt they did uh bits and pieces and um but nothing came out of it as of right now from uh, um, nothing came from it so I don't know if it was just because they just did bits and pieces and maybe, and that that just was not, you know, the area in which possibly the suspect could have, um, you know, had blood drip or whatever. I don't know. Um, It's sort of hard From I mean, I don't know nothing about holding a knife to, you know, to stab somebody, but um, when you're, you know, got a knife and, You know, you're working it like that. I don't know how in the world somebody cannot cut themselves, even if it's just a small cut. But um, I just can't imagine that there's no DNA. But I guess so far, you know, from these years, they're not coming up with nothing. So... um,
0: I think you bring up a good point because a lot of times in stabbing attacks if you're not wearing gloves, there's a good chance your hand can slip as you're stabbing somebody and actually exactly. cut yourself. Um, and, right. I, I, and it's possible maybe he was wearing gloves or uh, somehow his hand didn't slip, or maybe they, you know, he did cut himself. And I don't know if how closely they've looked at the DNA, if they've tried to separate any DNA to see if there's two more than one sample, but it would be interesting to see how far they went to make sure all the blood at you know, in your father's clothes, uh, to make sure that was all of your, your father's blood and not somebody else's, uh, because that would be a, a possible break if some of that blood on there didn't belong to your dad.
1: Right. Um, that part, I don't know. I just know that they have told me that they did do this fact, And they, you know, that they were waiting on the pieces that they did um, send in. But when it came back, that they came back saying that there was no, because they were wanting to also to do a DNA profile because they have not done a DNA profile on him yet. But apparently they're not even being able to do that because I guess no, uh, I'm guessing DNA from my dad himself had to show up, and I guess there was not even DNA of my dad. So I don't know how, I mean, there was blood on the shirt, so I don't know how that comes about. But, um, so, no, there's nothing yet.
0: That sort of came to a dead end. Hopefully, as science advances, you never know what kind of technologies will come out five years from now or ten years from now. But hopefully there's something behind that maybe not now, but maybe even a few years down the road they'll be able to use and perhaps uh, use that to, to figure out who did this to your father.
1: Right. Well, that was one of the things. Um, one, uh, another um, detective that works at, in, there in the cold case department with Chief Smith He had uh, Lieutenant Eisenhower also uh, help with my dad's case. And when he called me about it and was letting me know what was taking place, he also told me, he said, Tammy, look, he said, I could have sent his undershirt and his top shirt and his pants, he said, and I could have had them do everything. He said, but if I had done that, they would have taken every bit of blood DNA that there would be possible. He said, and I did not want to do that because once they do that, then everything's gone. You know, there's no more going back to it. He said, so that is why I decided to do give them a piece here, a piece there, this sort of thing. And he said, because there is so much coming out uh, about DNA and, and so many different um, techniques. Uh, new techniques coming out he said i want it to be open to where we still have uh his shirts and and his blood to where possibly something else could come around that we could try and 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 not put it all in one basket to say for right now and leave some of it open and so i told him that was fine you know um They're the detectives, and they know more about this than I do. I probably could have said to them, no, this now. And what's to say that there could not be a very tiny spot somewhere down that shirt that is not showing up? You know, how how are you not going to know or, you know, you could miss it, you know, if, if you didn't do this? But... I went with what he had to say and um, hoped that something would show up, but unfortunately uh, nothing showed up. So I've just got to wait until the next time they try something different.
0: Well, you've you've waited a long time. You've been very patient. It's approaching almost what 25 years now. 23 um, years. So 20. It would
1: be 23 uh uh-huh, August 17th,
0: 1996. Mm-hmm. And do these Years that go by, how frustrating is it to know that there's not a whole lot to go on, and you still want to see the case solved? But you know, years keep passing by. Is that a really frustrating feeling for you?
1: (laughs) Oh yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, It's it is very frustrating because you know, here I've got this boat. Here I've got this sketch of somebody could be, that's a, that's supposed to be a real person that is out there that stabbed my dad for whatever reason. I have no name. I have no idea where he is. I have no idea why he did it. I have no idea what this argument was about, what they were meeting for. You know, these, these questions can go on and on and on. And plus, all of the questions, you know, that has been presented to me by the detectives, you know, about him being gay. Is he or, gay or is he not gay? You know, was this his lover or was it not his lover? Was it somebody that he knew? Was it somebody he didn't know? Um, you know, I, I could go on and on and on with it. But to at, at the end of the day, until somebody sees this. And, you know, that one person and says, oh, my gosh, I remember this, you know, or I know who this person is or, oh, well, that looks like, you know, whoever until we have a name, until, you know, we have some kind of um, case or answers to help them uh, bring a case. I mean, it's just one more case out there that is just, you know. He's sitting on a shelf in their in their facility that's collecting dust and has spider webs all over him that he can't stand. And I think about that because my dad was did not like spiders, and I just uh, it's just a thing with me with that. But I just um, I just yeah, it is frustrating because every day I am putting his story out there on. On on websites on uh, Twitter, I have a uh, page on Twitter for him, and then I also have um, Facebook. I have a uh, his name Jack Robin Jacko Robinson. Um, I have a page for him, and then I have several groups that I also put um, and that's dedicated to him for South Carolina, you know, various other states, and. Along with him, uh, you know, I help with others. Um, I have helped work uh, Project Cold Case from Jacksonville. Here back several years ago, we did a book, and it was um, dedicated to 22 um, unsolved murders. And it's grief diaries, Project Cold Case, true stories that were about surviving and loss of a loved one um, to an unsolved crime. And we, I am also in the middle of working on helping with another book. Um, this time, I'm doing it a little bit different from the first. Never done it before, so now my second time. But um, I'm just, you know, Chief Smith is open to me with me trying to get my dad's story out there. He knows that I am not going to give up. He knows that um, no matter what he tells me, you know, that I'm 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 not stopping at it. I mean, he could tell me today, Tammy, you need to stop this. Well, he knows that that's not going to happen. I have to get his story out. I am his voice. I'm the only voice that he has. They're busy. They've had like 35 murders in Columbia, South Carolina, just in like a week or so, and. You know, yes, my dad's been murdered for 20, going on 23 years. And I feel like his murder is just as important as the next murder. But I know that there's other families out there that, that needs justice, just the same as my dad, just the same as I do. And they can only work so many at a time. So I feel like this is my way of being able to help them. that Somebody will see his story, see the composite of the person that m- murdered him, um, hear what his story is about. That may refresh somebody's memory of 22 years ago of what happened. And someone could call in to Crime Stoppers and say, I do know something about this murder or about this person. And I wish for that every day, um, that that could happen.
0: I I was going to say, I hope you get that answer sooner rather than later. Figure out who did this to your father. And if there is somebody out there that should be listening to this show and maybe something we're talking about makes them think of something uh, or they know somebody that might fit this description, who should they contact to provide information to investigators in your dad's case?
1: They can call Crime Stoppers. There's a $1,000 reward. Um, the phone number is 888-CRIME, C R I M E South Carolina SC. Um, that or they can call the Richland County Sheriff's Office, Cold Case Department, Chief Stan Smith at 803-576. Three zero three seven, um, and those would be the uh, two uh, numbers in which they could call. Of course, Crime Stoppers—you can call anonymously, and you know, give whatever you know about either the uh, suspect or about the case. But that's one eight 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 dash crime c-r-i-m-e dash sc
0: and there's a thousand dollar reward well hopefully somebody out there if they do know something does the right thing and goes forward with a tip and who knows maybe that's the missing link in this case is somebody just coming forward after all this time maybe they felt they couldn't do it a long time ago but maybe they can now and hopefully that's something that could you know maybe give the case new life
1: Right. Well, if somebody out there knows something, I wish somebody would come forward. Um, It has been a long road for myself and my sons. They miss their grandfather. I miss my father. And he's missed out so much um, with, with my sons growing up now that he's now I've got two grandsons, great grandsons to my dad and, um i just I just wish that somebody could come forward, and I would appreciate very much if there is anyone out there that knows this anything about my father, Jack L. Robinson. He was in the Air Force. He did work out at Moncrief Hospital. He worked in the lab there at the hospital. He was born and raised there in Columbia. And I would appreciate anybody that uh, could contact either Chief Smith or the Crime Stoppers if you have any kind of information on my father's case. It would be greatly appreciated for you to call in and to give what you may know. It's been a long road.
0: Thank you once again for listening to this episode of The Murder of My Family. Before you go, I'd like to play previews of two true crime podcasts that I think you'll really enjoy, and both of these focus on mysteries related to the highway. Mile Marker 181, and Route 29 Stalker. And before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody.
2: Murder or a freak accident? A cover-up or just rumor? On November 19, 2011, after a night out with friends, 20-year-old Jalea Davis was struck by her own car and found lying in the passing lane of I-77. Her car found three-tenths of a mile north of her body. Her clothes, found lying over the guardrail. Her friends, the granddaughter of the former sheriff and the son of a former police officer. The rumors, running wild. My name is Emily, and this all took place in my hometown. So, I started digging. Mile marker 181 is an investigative journey through the details surrounding the suspicious death of Julia Davis, which was ultimately ruled an accident by the local sheriff's department. Each episode, I go over the case documents, compare timelines and alibis, analyze phone records, speak with Julia's family, and sometimes even uncover new information. You can listen to mile marker 181 anywhere you get your podcast listen to the facts and then decide for yourself accident or murder
0: this is woody graham watts host of the route 29 stalker podcast between the years of 1996 to 2014 an unusually high number of women have fallen victim to disappearances and murders along route 29 in virginia join us on our journey as we look into these cases with interviews and trips to the crime scenes, subscribe today and visit Route29Stalker.com. That's Route29Stalker.com.